To seize all of the opportunities involved with making blueberries the world's favorite fruit, industry collaboration will be key. One of the beautiful things that I have always appreciated about USHBC and NABC is that we all take our hats and we put them off to the side and we talk about blueberries, right? And so if as an industry, we can turn that grab a boost of blue into a consistent delivery 52 weeks a year. Now, when they consistently go in and grab their boost of blue and it delivers against their expectation from firmness and flavor, boom, now we're cooking on all cylinders. And it's everybody across the board because we all will succeed if all of us are hitting the same way. In today's episode, Brian Bocock returns to the show to share his outlook and insights for the 2022 season and beyond. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, we've made it an annual tradition to bring today's guest onto the show to give us an outlook of the blueberry season that lies ahead. You've heard him back in episode two, episode 46, and now for his third annual appearance, I'm very pleased to welcome back Brian Bocock. Brian, as most of you know, is both a Michigan blueberry grower and the vice president of product management at NatureRipe Farms, where he's worked for over 30 years. NatureRipe has become the largest marketer of blueberries in the United States, representing over 20% of the total market with their network of farms in both North and South America. Brian also serves as the vice chair of the USHBC Promotion Committee, and I always appreciate his perspective and his vivacious outlook on the future of our industry. Brian, welcome back to the business of blueberries. Thank you, Casey. Good to be here and good to be with everybody out in the audience. I don't know if you always appreciate my vivaciousness, but <laughs> I'll put it out there anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is enthusiasm from people like you that I get the energy that I have for what we do. So yes, uh, whether it's uh, you know point counterpoint on particular market situations, or we're just talking about, gosh, we can go down a lot of roads, you and I, but I do. I always enjoy it. And I know our audience will enjoy today's conversation as well. I like that you use the word vivacious. That's a new word for me today. I'm going to be writing that down. I got to use it at least three times now the rest of this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You heard it here. All right. Well, good. Well, I want to just kind of get us started with a high level question on what's top of mind for you as we go into this 2022 season, being that, you know, we've seen obviously some weather events, right, in the Southeast. And, you know, we've had weather events in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, there's always Mother Nature involved with this business that I, I know you pay close attention to. Uh, but there's also the ambition of what we heard in our spring forward meeting, which was, you know, another record-breaking expectation of total crop coming into the market. And so you're a great person to ask, what do you see happening as we go further into this 2022 season with domestic peak season still ahead of us? Thanks, Case. Um, 
Well, yeah. I mean, when you are in the, the year of, if you will, so we're in the 2022 season, you know, the tactics of each individual region really starts to become dynamic. And honestly, a lot of times it's better if we have no weather events and everybody's just clicking along um, because you can get much more of a predictive curve. But um, what we're in right now, it takes a lot of work because, yes, there was some significant damage in in Georgia, but not everywhere in Georgia. There wasn't hardly any damage in Florida. There was some damage in North Carolina, but not everywhere in North Carolina. And so it becomes really challenging, if you will, to make sure you got everything lined up just right, right? I mean, because ultimately the goal is to maximize return for growers while putting out the right product to drive consumer consumption and future consumers' consumption. So it's a really double-edged sword when you get into these environments where you have reduced production due to weather events, and all of a sudden you peak up for two or three weeks, and you're going to go back down again. So it becomes really, really dramatic as to how you have to plan it out. And frankly, we spend a lot more time planning on situations like this than we do if everybody had a really good crop and, and here we go, where you can just pin your ears back and move. In situations like this, it can be pretty dynamic. And if you miss it by a week or two, it can mean um, whether a grower makes money or doesn't make money in this situation. You know, where some growers have got some really good crops, we're still going to promote for some weeks, but you don't want to promote in the wrong week because then you may be too cheap. You're not taking care of the demand that's needed out there. Flip side is, if you have a lot of fruit coming and you don't have the demand set up, the market could go lower than what it should. So we're optimistic. Um, certainly, we have some pain for some of our producers out there that um, took some significant damage. Um, but we are optimistic on where this marketplace is and is going to be over the next couple of three months. Yeah, I, I guess the question I would have, knowing that you're always planning for you know, these circumstances that can come up, is there a year that comes to your mind that you're like, that year was just so smooth, so amazing. There was nothing that took place. Mother Nature did not touch that season. Has that ever happened? Can you, can you? No. The only thing normal about blueberries is it's not normal. Uh, exactly. You know, whether it's Mother Nature or boats and containers coming up from Peru and Chile, something is always going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel, I've, I, you know, I've only been doing it for now two and a half years, moving towards three pretty quickly. But, man, it seems like it's always one region or the other. So, you know, it would be amazing for me, not that I, you know, have anything to do with how this would turn out. It's just a sea. What does a full year of everybody just knocking it down look like for the blueberry industry? You know, what would that A lot market? of pounds. That's what yeah, it means. Wow. <laughs> a lot of pounds. Well, and, and let's talk a little bit about the sales of that. Over the last 52 weeks, you know, we're seeing a 4.3 year-to-date increase to the prior year. Consumption of blueberries in the last 52 weeks is down just slightly, less than half a percent versus prior year. Organic blueberry sales are up 1.4%, while conventional is up 5.2%. But organic blueberry consumption is down slightly 5.4%, while conventional is up. And I want to talk a little bit about that demand side with you and just kind of get a sense of what you see happening. What do these numbers mean to you coming out of COVID? Obviously, we've enjoyed you know a lot of people turning towards health and blueberries in particular. But we're seeing kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it a normalization, but you know a mellowing out of consumer behavior, COVID behavior that we experienced over the last two years. So what does that look like to you in 2022? How are you adjusting for what you're seeing at retail? Well, yeah, I mean, consumers, uh, including my own family, you know, our buying patterns and our eating patterns are different than what they were 18 months ago, right? We're going out to eat more now. We're not going out to eat as much as we did 
but we are going out to eat more. So that by itself is starting to normalize it out somewhat, right? But, you know, it is interesting because the lunch trade from food service is really still hurt. I don't know if the lunch trade recovers in the near term. And when I say near term, three, four, five years, I think that that might be a permanent switch away from the lunch trade versus people bringing their their, uh, lunch into work with them now. (laughs) How we go to work. 36 months ago, it would have been unheard of at my company for people to take work in the office three days and work from home two days. I mean, that'd be like taboo. Today, that's how we're operating, right? So we're eating still yet pre-COVID, we're eating a lot more at home than we are out when we're out at work or whatever because we're working from home now, which is, again, changing things. You know, organics. It's a really interesting conversation because you can pick a lot of different gurus to say what their true organic consumer is today. But generally speaking, about 15% of the U.S. population is what I would call hardcore organic consumers. They're going to go out of their way to buy organics. And if there's not organics, they almost won't buy that item unless they can find organic. But 85% is still those swing customers, right? That it's got to look good. The price has got to be at least relatively close to where conventional is. And of those 85%, of course, there's only 20 or 30% that thinks that way. The rest of them are still very much either price sensitive or very much quality sensitive. And so I've been doing this for 32 years and probably for the first 20 or 22 years. One thing that was pretty consistent was what we were offering to the marketplace. Because quite frankly, we had three, four, five, six varieties that was in the ground for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, people may take out, but they replant with the same ones for 30, 40, 50 years. And what you've seen over the last 12 years is almost a revolution right before our eyes. It is absolutely fascinating to see how fast new varieties, better texture, better flavor, better yield, in a lot of cases, is coming into the marketplace. We are literally seeing quality being redefined right before our eyes in the last 12 years. And so what does that mean? It means good things for the consumer. They're going to have a better experience, I believe, um, than what maybe they've had with blueberries in the past. I think over the long term, it's going to put us in a better light compared to competing items, whether it's a produce item or something out of central store. The, the more we can hit the consumer's palate and the way they want to be hit is going to be faster repeat sales, new consumers buying a product and then coming back again because we're delivering better against the expectation of what a consumer feels is a great tasting blueberry. So the long and short of that is, fortunately and unfortunately, for the growing community is we got to change our varieties over, right? Which is not a cheap ordeal. I mean, it is a really expensive thing. Blueberries aren't like a cash crop or corn or soybeans row crop where you can just turn it over in a year. Depending on where you're at, it can be 12 months to six or seven years before you start to get a return on that investment. And so to make that transition takes time. But for those that will be in the industry 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, they're making that transition and just wait to see what's coming down the pike. It's pretty exciting. It's incredible. I I mean, I, you know, just what I think we heard in our fall meeting and I've quoted Dr. Sandifer before just saying, you know, what tables grapes has done in a thousand years, you know, we've been playing around in blueberries for a hundred. We've only really been 
messing with the genetics of varieties for the last 25, 30 in a kind of a commercial format. So just imagine, you know, like what's going to happen with what is being messed around with now in terms of variety and just the way in which, again, you can see in some of the things that have been discussed in the programs, you know, the science that's involved with it, you know, and it's just incredible where it's going to head. The science that's involved with it is unbelievable. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to work with a company that has its own breeding program. And when I go out and listen, <laughs> listen to these guys who are indeed rocket scientists of blueberries, I mean, I, the six-syllable and five-syllable words they throw out there at me blow me away. But what really blows me away is they'll come at me and they'll say, try this, try that, try this, try that. And I'll find one that I really like, and they'll, they'll tell me what the cross is. And through all their mad scientist stuff, they had to go back and pull a variety out from 40 years ago that we don't even commercially grow anymore to mix into a newer variety because the flavor profile we're after was there 40 years ago. It just didn't have the firmness or it didn't have the yield. It's crazy. These guys are literally searching the world for some old varieties that had flavor that was exquisite, but the quality, the softness, the firmness wasn't there. It's just just such a fascinating thing. Yeah. So, and if we didn't know we were talking about blueberries, it would sound like you were just talking about wine, you know, like how <laughs> people are thinking about, you know, bringing the old varieties back or, or how they're crossing for a particular Merlot or Zin yeah, yeah, or, exactly. you know, it's amazing that we're in this window of seeing where this could go, uh, which I want to talk more about. But before I do, let's take a quick break here for our crop report. As you know, Brian, and our audience, that the season is well underway and we're inching closer to that peak period where we're welcoming more and more regions onto the report. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Ken Patterson in Florida, Brandon Wade in Georgia, Neil Moore in North Carolina, and Todd Sanders in California. This was recorded on May 4th, 2022. Hello, everybody. This is Ken Patterson, Florida blueberry grower and chairman of the North American Blueberry Council. Florida is slowly wrapping up its 2022 harvest. Some farms in South and Central Florida have already begun pruning as they are completely done. But in general, most of the region is about 90 to 95% complete. North Florida is not that far behind them with at least 75% of the crop already picked. Much of the remaining volume will be machine harvested due to the declining market. I anticipate that the Florida season will probably be over by the end of next week. Uh, the USDA is reporting 22.6 million pounds has been shipped from Florida so far this year. And that's my report from Florida. Brandon Wade from Alma, Georgia. For this week's update, it looks like we're starting to see the west side of Georgia start to come down from the peak. We assume toward the end of the week that the peak will be over and really on the very low inside of the peak for varieties like Farthing, Susie Blue, Meadowlark. There will be a few that will kind of intercede and continue to keep the volume, but not at the rate that we had for the prior two weeks. Over here in Alma, so a little bit, 45 minutes to the east, <clears throat> it looks like we are currently in our peak. And sometime mid next week, late next week, we'll start to see the decline there as well. 
there's always a little bit of variation between farms and growers. So on our personal fields, that's my timing estimate is sometime late next week, we should see a drop in volume, a decline. But some of the other growers that we pack berries for, it looks like they may be splitting their peak between this week and next week. So hopefully nothing too dramatic on the volume changes, but we definitely are moving out of a higher volume period for Georgia, and it should start to come down a little bit. I guess that's about as good as I can get because a few weeks from now, things could be a good bit different depending on how our next varieties in line start to blue up. We should still be able to maintain quality and push a nice pack out there to the consumer. And I think that's my update. Good morning. This is Neil Moore reporting from North Carolina. North Carolina has experienced good weather for fruit development this past week. Currently, we are still on the dry side of soil moisture. Irrigation is currently being applied on a regular basis. Rain chances are expected tonight and for the next few days. After a couple of cool days in and last Friday, we have had highs in the upper 80s to 90 near record highs. Forecasts for more normal temperatures are for this weekend. Our fruit is sizing nicely across all varieties and a few ripe blues on early varieties are being seen. A small harvest on Rebels and other early cultivars will start around next Wednesday. Volumes are not expected till the week of May 23rd. Crop size is still estimated to be at 35 million total with 25 million fresh and 10 million pounds processed. That's my report. Good morning, everybody. My name is Todd Sanders. I represent the California Blueberry Commission. The season is beginning to ramp up as expected. Expected. We're running about a week behind, maybe even 10 days due to the cooler than normal temperatures that we've been experiencing. The fruit that is coming off has been exceptional. The size and quality has been really, really good. We did experience some weather-related issues probably about 10 days ago, which did damage some of our northern fruits and throughout the valley. We're anticipating that there is going to be a little bit of a drop-off, but not much from our total estimate of 65 million pounds. But other than that, that's all we have to report. We should experience probably our peak end at the end of May. That's what we're estimating right now. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. Now we've added a lot of new features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping and price movement, the retail category performance, the Nielsen monthly retail sales report, export report, and much, much more. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So getting back to our featured conversation with Brian Bocock here, Brian, let's talk a little bit about the future here at our spring forward meeting having that flavor panel that Grant led and uh, Gonzalo was there with Driscoll's gave us some forecast. And I, I thought maybe I would take that opportunity to just kind of play that back for you, you know, assuming that, you know, the information that he forecasted was this growth curve against that household penetration rate that I think struck the whole audience as being pretty remarkable, eventually eclipsing, as he said, strawberries. And so, you know, that's something we're targeting. Obviously that household penetration rate means a lot for you know, that demand gen part of our, our business of where blueberries are today. And I think he had it pegged, if I remember correctly, around that 50% mark, which I would say is, you know, on the high side. But he was pushing that all the way up to 75% by 2030, 2035. 
and just wanting to get your reaction, you know, from your perspective of, of agreeing or disagreeing at that kind of growth curve. There's no doubt in my mind, if we can deliver the right quality, better flavor, better texture, that we can absolutely increase household penetration. And we can start to get up and start to challenge strawberries for household penetration. Now, of course, that's dependent on, you know, the strawberry industry and if they see some some growth. But, you know, again, as much as we've grown as an industry, there's still windows and there's still shoulders in our 52 weeks that demand is significantly above available supply. You know, and we'll fill those in over the next five to 10 years. So that all by itself, if we do nothing else, that all by itself is going to increase household penetration because you have consumers that want blueberries 52 weeks a year. And the better experience we can deliver to them, the more and more of those are that's going to be there. You know, do I think we'll get all the way up to 79% household penetration um, by 2034 or whatever it is? I don't know. That's a pretty, pretty lofty, audacious goal. But as an industry, if we forecast things right, if we grow things right, if we deliver right, that's not a goal we shouldn't say, absolutely not. There's no way we'll ever hit it because while it's lofty and audacious, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Well, and that's encouraging. I mean, because I was participating last week in the South American Blueberry Conference virtually uh, that was being held in Chile. And I thought I'd ask if you could comment on the the next five-year projection that Agronometrics was forecasting there. So Colin Fain, he spoke to the industry giving kind of the baseline numbers, state of the industry concept from IBO's perspective. And they're predicting there in Latin America will increase blueberry production by 61% between 2020 and 2025. And then kind of what does that mean for our industry? And how do you see that helping to fill in those gaps when those demand is high and we just don't have the supply? Does that 61% projection concern you? Well, yeah, (laughs) but that does not totally surprise me just with a few things that I know. Uh, with what's going to continue to happen in Mexico, what's going to continue to happen in Peru, what's going to potentially happen in some other countries in, in South America with blueberry production over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. However, I will say this, some of that 61% could come at the expense of some other production from other areas, right? If other areas don't up their game on what they're delivering to the marketplace, you will see some reduced production from some other areas. So, well, the industry, is it fair to say the industry will grow 61% over the next five years? I don't know if that's a totally fair statement, but could imports from South America, from Mexico increase by 61%? That could be in the realm of possibility. So in that same conversation, I know we're talking about production versus demand, but, you know, and the other thing that um, would be interesting to get your perspective on as we look at this data that we get from Nielsen every month and is available on our website in our data analytics page is the opportunity to get better at understanding those consumers in those markets and their behavior in buying. And I know you look at these numbers too, but I I found it fascinating to kind of just go regional, regional, just on a regional, but even down to the city on what's happening in those markets that cause, you know, Des Moines to fall off. You know, there's just all kinds of dynamics, you know, club membership can be part of that too. And 
what's going on. So there's a lot of variables. So I'm not I'm not uh, uh, trying to make this sound like it's going to be a simple answer. But with data, you know, you can see kind of big picture, even if you were to break the country up into five pieces, six pieces, or all the different nine regions that Nielsen covers, uh, which ones help us understand that there's a low demand period or or there's lower demand just generally speaking over a period of year. And I guess, you know, as we get better at understanding the data, understanding our production into those, our sales into those regions, what's your opinion on how to handle what we're seeing in that data as an industry, which has been generally responsible for marketing nationally? Is there a approach as you see going forward for driving regional sales growth to make those, you know, year round access, you know, consistent in all the regions? Or do you just see that certain parts of the country are just not going to be as blueberry oriented as other parts of the country? I don't see it the way you last put it. That's for sure. I I definitely see areas of opportunity, whether it's the Southwest part of the United States or the middle, upper middle West. I'm going down through into Kansas and Missouri and Iowa and the Dakotas. You know, there's all kinds of issues here, and I don't want to get into all of them, but I mean, the logistics alone is, can be part of the issue to some of these places. However, I do think as an industry, you know, when you look at different data points and there's certain culture, Hispanic as an example, Hispanic per capita consumption of strawberries is super high. Hispanic per capita consumption of blueberries is very low in perspective. So that begs you to ask two questions, right? Is it uh, is it a price relationship? Maybe some. Is it a is it a, is it an understanding and a flavor relationship? It's probably more of that, right? So, how do we again deliver against the expectation? And there's an education too, right? I think that you know, on the promotion committee, um, we've been very focused on the last. 18 months about getting into more school programs, school lunch, feeding programs. That's putting blueberries out in front of potential new consumers, which I think is huge. I think that is a huge deal in some of these areas. So I think from a national perspective, there's some stuff at USHBC that we can do more in very targeted regions. In fact, we talked about those internally um, that we could potentially look at. But as an industry, Really focusing our efforts on what's those expectations? What are we missing with certain dynamics of groups? Because it can't always be pricing, and it's not. It's pricing, yeah, sometimes, but as our production goes up, pricing is going to become less and less of a, of a factor as we get more and more production and we start to hit, you know, consistent retail price points. You know, another thing I think that has hurt us somewhat in blueberries is retail pricing does go like this. So the consumer one week is paying a dollar ninety nine, the next week they're paying three ninety nine, the week after that five ninety nine, and then they're down to two ninety nine. You know, so it's really hard for mom to put that on her shopping list. Just to be clear, Brian was using wave signals with his hands for those of you yeah. listening. <laughs> oh, sorry. You don't get to see that. Yeah, it was uh, uh, the pricing is a roller coaster is what uh, Brian was describing. But and true. And then of course at the end as you described going up and up and up. But yeah, you know. But just think about though. I mean, if you have strawberries on your shop, strawberries are easier to put on your shopping list than blueberries from a price perspective, because it's much more consistent in that average weekly retail price. Yes, there's some fluctuations there, but nothing like what we do to the consumer on blueberries. So it's really hard for houses in their food budgeting to budget blueberries because we're all over the place. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. 
Thanks, Casey. Let's get brainy. Food is fuel for the brain, and in honor of Brain Health Month coming up in June, USHBC is inspiring consumers to grab more boosts of blue. Our message? That eating fresh or frozen blueberries each day within an overall healthy diet and lifestyle is a smart choice that can add up to support brain health. As part of our national plan to promote the benefits of blueberries, USHBC is sharing a range of informative and enticing resources, including blueberry recipes, nutrition information, and health research. And our Blue Crew is rolling out original content for blueberry-loving fans throughout the month. This group of credible third-party experts includes physicians, registered dietitians, fitness professionals, and wellness and lifestyle experts who are sharing social media content and custom recipes as part of the campaign. The second of five USHBC power periods, the June promotional campaign for Brain Health Month is part of Grab a Boost of Blue, our strategic positioning and call to action backed by new tools and consumer research. If you haven't yet checked out the Brain Health Month toolkit, run, don't walk over to ushbc.org brain. This toolkit is designed to provide the industry with fast and easy professional resources to enhance your own promotion plans, including deliciously inspiring recipes, informative print-ready one-pagers, and plug-and-play social posts and digital ads featuring eye-catching headlines and vivid mouth-watering imagery. Consumers are always looking for easy solutions to eating well, and blueberries are a simple, no-stress food offering both delicious flavor and a variety of health benefits. So please join us in this effort to shout from the rooftops about the amazing benefits of blueberries. It takes all of us. Your help awaits at ushbc.org brain. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Brian Bocock. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't... Uh Talk about packaging with Brian Bocock, but um, you know, if you look at the pint package, is almost twice the sales as the second biggest selling package of eighteen ounce. Both were up in consumption total dollars price for it. But I know you have opinion on the pint. And then if you look at the six ounce, it had a negative gain in consumption and total sales, but an increase in price. So, what's your reaction generally there about which way things are going, or more importantly, which way things should go as we move things forward as an industry? Well, two comments. If you look at that ratio you just told me 15 years ago, pints would be a lot bigger percentage than they are right now. So let us let me make that statement. The second thing is you're seeing some pint growth because we're moving consumers out of the six ounce into the pint for a pretty fair amount of time. And you already heard me say it earlier. We still need to focus on putting together a value pack, a larger pack to the consumer over time that makes sense. To me, you know, if you if you look at some of the numbers that are forecasted out, you know, in 2021, we did, what, 844 million pounds fresh, I think, something of that level, um, over the 12-month period. And, you know, it's not inconceivable, just with the numbers you were sharing from South America and, and Mexico, with what's also going to potentially happen here in North America. It's not inconceivable that in the next 5, 10 10 years, 10 years for sure, we could be at one and a half billion pounds of fresh blueberries potentially sold in the United States. That's, in my opinion, not going to happen successfully for growers in a pint. We're going to have to upsize the consumer into larger packs 
which then drives per capita consumption of the blueberries, which is what we want. We want to drive per capita consumption. Well, and one of the trends that we see in packaging, you know, on a marketing front that you may have a thought on is how private label is starting to move into, you know, marketing blueberries. And, you know, that has in the last 52 weeks had 11.5% growth in the market. And uh, what what's your sense of, you know, between obviously all these things that are trying to be marketed and then you throw in a private label marketing mix. What's your sense of that in that part of the industry impacting the marketplace? If I was 10 years down the road, I could give you a really solid answer on this. Um, I think that um, that's a really specialty thing yet for blueberries. I think it has some place in the marketplace, but it is a, it is a specialty type thing because there's without getting into a lot of details and regarding private label, there's a lot of restrictions inside a private label that makes it difficult for the shipper and can make it very difficult for the retailer too. Expectations change on a lot of different levels. So do I think private label has a space? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we've got to dance to what our customer wants and we've got to dance to consumer and customer, right? Two different things sometimes. Customer being retailers, consumer being the buyers at the retailers, right? And there are some customers that are pushing for and looking hard at, at private label. That's a hot, private label, believe me, is a hard thing to ex very hard thing to execute against successfully. Yeah. Well, it's something we're watching, certainly just kind of knowing how private label has affected other commodity, you know, in the produce aisle specifically, and just watching this as another component or another variable for how we market blueberries. But I think before we go, it would be good just to talk about how we're doing in the case of our Grab a Boost of Blue program, your role on the promotion committee as vice chair, and just kind of seeing the direction things have been moving. You know, as, as we ended our Tampa, it was the conclusion really was adopting an amended budget that accounted for these new MOU dollars. And you've been very much a part of the NABC's work on working with the industry to, to bring these dollars in and, and help increase the promotion activity of both the USHBC uh, trying to drive demand. So I just wanted to spend a little time with you. Just, you know, that was a kind of a very important climactic moment for, you know, changing the budget to account for all these new dollars, but what that means, you know, from your perspective in the years that you've served and, you know, kind of now seeing how we're starting to allocate those funds against things like the retail channel and increasing our, our influence in the food service channel and driving a new initiative inside of the food ingredient channel. So, you know, more dollars do more things. And I just wanted to see if we could just get your thoughts on the direction things are headed now. That's probably my favorite question of the day so far. <laughs> no, really it is. Because, okay. No, because Casey, for, for so many years, we've looked at data, we've studied data, we've made some efforts to really influence different channels to get to the consumer. But again, with relatively limited budget. I mean, if you compare us to some of the other commodities, even yet today with what the importers have done, um, a limited budget, but all this, almost all, I shouldn't say all, but almost all of the new um, income that we got is going right at consumption, is going right at the consumer, is going right at targeted audiences. And it's not 
your USHBC promotion committee sitting behind a closed door studying numbers. It's getting the money out. And, and that money is so valuable because now we have the base of money to study the numbers with, and we're starting to get a base of money to do something with that knowledge base. And it's exciting. I cannot wait to see some of the results of our programs. I know some of them won't work out well. Probably all the ones I suggested will fail miserably, but, <laughs> but, but, um, it, it's just exciting to start getting out there and really getting after increasing per capita consumption through demand, not through increased production, but through demand. Well, and I think too, you know, just the opportunity and the leadership you had during the pandemic period where we were able to start working with some retailers at a level to pilot test some of these uh, things that we'll be able to spend a lot more resources towards now. Like we, we were able to kind of test some experiments with, you know, walnuts is a good example of one that we did during brain health month. And, and, uh, and so more of that, you know, pouring more gas on that is what really you can see value, obviously with that partnership on both sides, but, you know, we're going to be working very closely with the contractor that we worked with on that, you know, a contract with them. It's going to, it's exciting. And I, I, and I do appreciate your leadership and helping us get to that point. And also on the data side, I know we spend a lot of time talking about that as a point of priority for our organization going forward um, and really digging in there. But having just completed a series of interviews for a business intelligence person, you know, being able to offer that back to the industry as a point of understanding on how things are going is also would only be done if, you know, if we have these additional resources. So credit to you and that, again, group of the task force to, you know, really take the opportunity and move it forward so that we could be doing these types of things for the industry. Well, I appreciate that, but it's really credit to the industry and credit to you and your staff. I mean, that's where really where the rubber hits the road, right? And one of the beautiful things that I have always appreciated about USHBC and NABC is that we all take our hats and we put them off to the side and we talk about blueberries, right? And so if as an industry, and I believe collectively in a majority way, we're thinking this way, we can turn that grab a boost of blue into a consistent delivery 52 weeks a year. Now, when you're talking to me about household penetration, we're starting to talk about those bigger numbers, right? When they consistently go in and grab their boost of blue and it delivers against their expectation from firmness and flavor, boom, now we're cooking on all cylinders. And it's everybody across the board because we all will succeed if all of us are hitting the same way. Well, I always enjoy a conversation with Brian Pocock, but for today, I think, you know, the things we heard that we should all feel really excited about is the incredible improvements we should be expecting in quality in the future ahead. So, you know, when you look back on what he was describing has been his 30-year history and now the enthusiasm of somebody at his point in his career looking forward, there's a lot more here to get excited about for blueberries in the improvements in quality, the consistency, and of course, uh, year-round access to the blueberries. I also appreciate just his, uh, again, leadership and the value he puts on the promotion programs. He talked about Grab a Boost of Blue and how that our USHBC budget has been historically limited for sure, but that 
by putting more resources behind these programs, it really does help to affect change in his experience in his sales desk and what he's trying to accomplish as a, a company like Nature Ripe. These programs really do help move the needle and they're counting on it. And uh, we all succeed if we're all working, as he described, hitting on the same cylinder together. And I appreciate his point in saying that as well. Uh, again, just to note that he wants everybody else to join him to put on that blueberry hat here in the future, which will be in Nashville. And that connection point too is just how we work together as an industry. We make those times twice a year to come together and that's going to happen here soon. And lastly, I would just say, I appreciate Brian's understanding about what we're trying to accomplish of everybody taking their hats off and just coming together as a blueberry family and and of course, that hat coming up here in the fall being that uh, blueberry cowboy hat uh, there in Nashville. Looking forward to getting together everybody, with everybody then. Well, that's it for episode 97. It's never too early to start thinking about National Blueberry Month. I know our team is really excited to be leveraging this time to get the word out about blueberries. So we're making sure that all of our industry is going to be a part of this and that you'll have the resources that we've created for you at ushbc.org forward slash toolkit. So please be sure to get ready for uh, this incredible power period, which is uh, by going to ushbc.org forward slash toolkits. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 